You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Well, good morning. Well, good morning. Hey, good to see you all. So excited that you're here, that we're joining together to worship God. Um, where's, where's Grayson at? He's in the back over there. Well, listen, he killed it. Like, I've seen a lot of adults struggle with that, and he just was like, lit that up, so that was good. So, uh, excited to dive into the Word this morning with you all. If you have a Bible, open up Luke 2. This is where we've been for our Advent series, going through faith, hope, love, joy, and then on Christmas Eve, we will be looking at peace. On January 9th, 2007, does anybody remember what happened on that day? No, right? A man named Steve Jobs stood on a platform and rocked the world. And here's what he did. See, years prior, 1984, Apple Computer introduced what they called the Macintosh. And this product did not just change Apple the corporation, it changed the computer industry. And then, fast forward to 2001, they introduced what they called the iPod. And this did not just change how we listen to music, this actually changed the whole entire music industry. So now, the first, or January 9th of 2007, they were going to introduce what they said were four different things. A new computer, an internet communication device. Anybody remember Palm Pilots? Who had a Palm Pilot? Raise your hand. Come on, be bold. Right, so that's what they were introducing, a new internet communication device, a new computer, a new iPod that was going to play your music, and then a very new revolutionary mobile phone. But they didn't, they didn't just introduce four products. They introduced one, the iPhone the internet communication device, the mobile computer, the iPod that plays music, a phone, and it came equipped with a two megapixel camera. All in your hand. And the crowd went wild. I mean, People were crying, hugging each other, jumping up and down, raising their hands like little infants. They started walking around because it was just so exciting that this new product was coming to the market, something that was going to change our world. See, we as a people can get really excited about stuff. Agreed? We get excited about the things that we have the newest phone, the newest toys, the newest cars. And it's not just stuff. It's, 
It's other things too, like hobbies. We, we, some of us have hobbies that we love, whether you're a golfer or a crossfitter or you love to run. We get excited. We buy all the swag that comes along with it. I mean, you, you don't see a runner just running down that's every day. I mean, they're wearing all the garb. They're wearing the hookahs. They're wearing all the stuff that goes with that hobby. We get excited about people, people coming into town. Holidays is about people coming into town, people we haven't seen. We, we get really excited. Events. There's a concert coming up or this thing or that thing that we're going to go attend and we get really pumped up and excited and it stirs us. And excitement and happiness, they're, they're good feelings, but they're temporary. We should desire more. We should desire joy. See, joy is different than happiness. And joy is not the kind of word that we use in our culture. Like, I don't think we're going around often talking about, oh, I'm so joyful today. Like, it's not really a common language word. But what is joy? It's this deep contentment in all circumstances. So no matter what the circumstance, no matter what's going on around us, no matter what the chaos may look like, there's a sense of joy. This is what John Piper says. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul, deep within our core, produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. So today we're gonna press in to joy. See, Advent, it, it means the arrival, the arrival of something. For us in this season, it could be the arrival of friends and family and presence, but we are gonna focus and fix our eyes on the greatest arrival that any of us will ever receive in our entire lives, which is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And when he arrives, he does bring faith, hope, love, joy, and peace. And so we're going to focus our hearts and minds on joy today. So would you pray with me? And then we'll, we'll dive into the passage. Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to meet here in a place, gather together, and open up your word. God, that you have through the power of the Holy Spirit, inspired over 40 authors to write across continents the words that we hold in our hands. Over years and years and years, all pointing to one great story of good news, great joy for all people, that Jesus has come to give us life and life to the full. So today, as we jump in and we look at your word, God, I pray that your word would speak to our hearts, that, that all the stuff that we're bringing into today, all the feelings, all the hurts, all the pains, all the discouragement, God, that we would be able to place that aside, Lord, and that we would be able to just fully fix our hearts and minds on the greatest gift that we have ever received, which is Jesus. So Lord, do something now that only you can do. Help us, in your name we pray, amen. So this is what we're gonna look at. The last couple of weeks we've been looking at this story in Luke two about the shepherds. God comes and reveals himself to shepherds. And as we just saw in the story that Liam read, um, we, we see this story unfold where he comes to common shepherds. In that day and age, shepherds would have been common folk. 
They, in some ways, could have even been outcasts. They were, they were usually very smelly, dirty. They spent all their time with sheep. They stayed outside the city. They really didn't do a whole lot in the social life of the city. And I know for some people here today, you can often feel like that. You can feel like someone that doesn't maybe belong and someone that's unseen and someone that's unknown. But today, we're looking at God's word and you're going to see that you are seen, that you are known, and that you are loved. And so we're going to look at three aspects of godly joy in the story of the shepherds. And I'm, I'm, I'm prefacing it because, because sometimes I think we could just think of joy as happiness. But this is true godly joy that we're talking about this morning. And so here's the first thing we see. Godly joy overcomes fear. Godly joy overcomes fear. Look at it with me, uh, Luke 2, verse 8. And in the same region where the shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So I think pretty much everyone here would freak out if a heavenly being showed up in your room tonight. Agreed? Like there's something about this story that we have to wrap our minds around that if a heavenly being appeared to you in the sky in all of God's glory and greatness, I think we would be shaken to the core. Now, who enjoys being scared? Raise your hand. Who like seeks out scary movies? Uh, who, go, who, who are the people that like go to Halloween Horror Nights, right? Like you're looking around and some people are like, I don't want to admit that. Um, but there's some people I know, some good friends of ours, that, that, that actually just love it. They love being scared. They love watching the scary movies. Um, I didn't grow up watching scary movies, so that, that's not my MO. Um, I will not go to Halloween Horror Nights. I just, that's, that's not me. Um, but some people actually do pay for fear. Like, they pay to get scared. Uh, and, and in that fear and in that being scared, I mean, we're talking about things like blood and demons and death and massacre. I mean, this is scary stuff. This is stuff that is not healthy for our souls. Um, but the glory of God is altogether different. The fear that we're speaking of here is not this fear of being so scared because it's like blood and death and those kinds of things. No, this is like a wonder and an awe type of fear where you are just laid before something that is so grand and so great and so powerful. We can often stand in the presence of greatness here on earth. I mean, if you think of cross-like generations, like the best musicians that are like of all time. Like if you were, you were standing in line at Publix or at a Starbucks, and I know some of these people aren't alive anymore, but like all of a sudden, Jimi Hendrix walks up, or you got someone like Miles Davis, or even Frank Sinatra. That's right, I'm Italian. Hey, forget about it, right? So Frank Sinatra, I mean, that would be fun and exciting. I mean, for some of you Swifties, right? If Taylor walked in, right? She walks in the back, everybody, ah, right? So, so that's fun and exciting. 
but the God of the cosmos, the one who formed those people that I just mentioned in their mother's wombs, the one who gave those people their talents, their gifts, and their abilities. I mean, this is, we're not talking about the same thing here. We're not talking about standing in the greatness of someone who played a really good guitar. We're talking about the person who in their greatness thought about the guitar and then placed that into the hearts and minds of a man or a woman to make those things. Like, this is the God of the cosmos. And when God reveals himself, some do run in fear, but others are draw near. And so there's a story that I was reading this week of Moses and the Israelites. God is appearing on the mountain in his glory and in his splendor. And the Israelites cower in fear and run from God as Moses goes to him. This is Exodus 20, 18 to 21. God's revealing his glory. And it says, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off while Moses drew near to where God was. So why did Moses draw near? I think that he saw the power of God and he thought, where else would I go? There is safety in power. And just like Moses, the shepherds drew near. I'm a dad of six girls right now. We have three biological girls. We have an adopted girl and two sweet little girls that, that we get to love and care for in the season along with their beautiful mom. And it is, it is just wonderful, the opportunity that I have. Their ages right now, because uh, it's Malaya's birthday today, so it is uh, 11, 9, 9, 5, 5, 4. And it, I mean, it's peaceful in my house. It is, there's never any chaos. Never crying, which is surprising with six girls under 11. But I tell you, there is, <laughs> there is something indescribable when I walk through the doors at my house and they come running and grab onto me yelling, Daddy. Or when they hurt themselves or they're sad, they throw their arms up in the air and they wrap their arms around me. There's something so beautiful in that. Why would they do that? Well, I would think even in my, my sin and in my, my failures that, that I'm safe, that I'm comforting because I am theirs. This is the same thing about the God of the universe. That he is all powerful. He is all knowing. He is everywhere. But he is a good, good father who invites us to draw near to him. And we run to him because he is safe and he is comforting and he is for us. And in fact, a little later on in this passage, what do the angels declare? That he is for those whom he is pleased that he looks at you as his son and his daughter because of what Jesus did on the cross. Not because of, of your failure, not because of your shame, not because of your guilt. He looks at Jesus' perfect life on your behalf and he sees you as his own. 
And so when Moses was drawing near, there was a trembling in him, but the trembling was causing him to draw closer to him, like a moth to a flame, going there and saying, knowing that it wasn't to his impending death, but to his rescue, to his hope, to his love, to his joy, to his peace. They were running to him. And this is what he invites us to. Because godly joy overcomes fear. And I think for these shepherds, this was a conversion moment. This was a moment where God reveals himself to them as his father, as their father, their savior, their king. He's revealing to them that he is for him. This is great news, good news of great joy for all the people. And so, what started as maybe fear moved very quickly to worship. Every man, every woman, every child sitting in this room must have this moment. Must have a moment where they stand before a holy God and receive him as their father. God reveals you receive. Otherwise, we just are practicing religion. Can I say that? If you haven't had a moment where you have a personal, intimate, interactive relationship with God, then we are just merely practicing religion. And that's not what this Bible calls us to. He doesn't call us to practice a religion. He, he calls us to enjoy a relationship with him through the work of Jesus on the cross. And it's not always instant, by the way. And I think sometimes we hear some grand testimonies, which are amazing and beautiful. Um, and there are these like conversion moments where someone meets God in their addiction, in their pain, in their hurt, and then immediately they're transformed and their lives are turned around. For others, it's a little bit more gradual. For me, my story, it was a little more gradual. I grew up in a Christian home, so I, I knew about God and I knew Bible verses, and I was one of the kids that would come up and read in front of the church. Like, but there was something that I heard when I was 16 that God became real to me where I met him face to face. And there was another moment in college where, where I had an experience with God where he called me into ministry. And there was another moment, like we have these moments where God is continually drawing us nearer and nearer and nearer for, to him. And for some of you, that moment may even start today where God begins to plant the seeds of his good news in your heart and in your mind. And so when we're reading this story, it's only a few verses, so I think that we could read it as if this is an instant transformation that happens for these shepherds. But I think it's a little more gradual than that. Right? There's a moment where they're standing or sitting or laying or falling face. I don't know what they're doing, but they're doing something, right? And they're trembling in fear, and these angels are proclaiming good news of great joy for all people. And then all of a sudden, they realize we have to move. And so they get up and they start going to search for this Messiah that the angels were talking about. And there, I think in that search, there's this like stirring in them of, is this real? Is this true? Is what we just experienced real? And then they come face to face with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and they are in awe and they begin to worship. And so they leave that worshiping the Lord with their lives. Their circumstances don't change. They still go back to being shepherds, but there's a transformation that takes place over this time period that we're looking at. And so godly joy overcomes our fear. 
Because he doesn't just bring justice down upon us. He brings mercy and grace and pours out his wrath on another who is who? Jesus. I love what Charles Spurgeon says about this. This is the good news that we're seeing here. God, he makes those just who are unjust. He forgives those who deserve to be punished and he grants grace to those who don't deserve it. Man, that's good news. Because I know when I look at that, I know that I am unjust. I know that I deserve to be punished and I know that I don't deserve his love. But he gives it to me through Jesus. And this is why the angel calls it good news of great joy. So godly joy overcomes fear, but then the second thing we see here is that godly joy moves us to mission. Godly joy moves us to mission. Look at verses 15 and 16. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go, I would circle that, over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. So let's, let's, let's move and then see with our own eyes which the Lord has made known to us, minds. And then they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. So the angels proclaim good news of great joy for all people. And then this is their proclamation, that they are gonna go and see. And so they went with haste. Now this word haste means now. They didn't dilly-dally. They didn't wait around to kind of see how this was gonna play out. It, this word here in the Greek, um, it, it meant with veracity. God created us to be passionate and excitable people. When something excites us, we move. What is it for you? What are the things that move you in your heart and in your mind? Maybe it's food. Anybody get really, any foodies in the building? You're really excited about food? Last night we were at my family uh, Christmas and this is a side note. Um, we're talking about my grandpa and, and God rest his soul. Um, he was a sweet man, but also there were times where he was a lot um, to deal with. And uh, at the end of his life, he got a little grumpy um, and he uh, got uh, kind of frail. And so he had a, a walker and a cane and he didn't move around very well. Um, he had diabetes and he was overweight and, and he was really struggling. Um, but we would go out to dinner as a family and my, my uncle actually had a video of this where um, he would walk to his car very slowly and then he would like struggle to get in the car and then we'd pack up his stuff. And then we'd pull up outside the buffet. Anybody know the Der Dutchman uh, up in Sarasota? It's an all-you-can-eat buffet known as one of the best in Florida. The moment the car stopped, Jesus took over. <laughs> that joker jumps out of the car. He runs in, right? He gets in line, doesn't go to the table, goes right in line. And he is walking to the table double-handed with plates. No cane, no walker. I mean, he's like balancing stuff on his head just to get to the table. I mean, he was moved by, by food. Maybe what moves you to mission is your investments. You get really excited when the stock market's up or your, your, your house, the, the value's going up. Maybe relationships, you get really excited 
to, to do something, right? The mission that you're on, maybe, maybe you're excited to, to be the best boyfriend or girlfriend or fiance or husband or wife and you, you get moved by relationships. Maybe, maybe it's, you're just moved by scrolling and memes all the time. Maybe you just get really excited when you come across a funny meme and you have to send it to every single person that you know. Now those things all may sound silly, but we are a type of people that God created to be excitable, but he created that for us to be excitable for him, not the stuff of this world. I mean, why do you think the disciples and Paul, why do you think they would give up their lives, that they would be beaten and imprisoned and tortured for a hoax? I mean, missionaries that are on the mission field going into the darkest places that are giving up their lives just because of something that may or may not be real? No, 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 no. They were doing this because they met the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords face to face. They encountered the presence of God and that godly joy moved them to mission. There's an early church father, Polycarp. He lived in the same time as Paul and Peter and those guys. And, and some would say he was a, a disciple of John, the beloved. Polycarp was 86 years old, proclaiming the good news of Jesus. They told him to stop. He said no. They tied him to a stake to burn him alive. And the fire did not take his life. And so they stuck a dagger in his side and the blood that poured out quenched the fire that was trying to consume him around him. All the while proclaiming forgiveness and the good news of great joy for all people to all those that stood and watched. Godly joy moves us to mission, his mission. They experienced something real, something true, something genuine. These shepherds, they were moved. They saw a real God, and they jumped on mission to see for themselves and then to go tell others. And here's the last thing we see. Godly joy is contagious. Godly joy is contagious. Look at verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. So they're proclaiming what they experienced with the angel. They were explaining what was going on and what they had just seen and heard. And all who heard it wondered, worshipped, were in awe at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Remember, the shepherds weren't gifted communicators. They were not spokespeople for some brand. They weren't influencers. They were common folk. They were outcasts coming in to share this good news of great joy. They weren't the type of people you would normally listen to in this situation. Often, I think, when we talk about our joy is contagious or going on mission to serve the Lord, automatically, everybody in the room goes, yeah, that's not my gifting. I'm not good at that. That's not something that, you know, people want to hear from me. This wasn't a story that people wanted to hear from the shepherds either, but the godly joy that they had experienced, this experience with a holy God, moved them to mission, and it was contagious with the people around them. And Mary, the mother, treasured up these things in her heart, pondering them, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. 
I think often we don't tell people about God and what he's done through the work of Jesus on the cross because we really haven't experienced the fullness of joy in Jesus. I think we've spent, many people have spent their lives practicing religion and not experiencing a relationship. Or we've forgotten the goodness of the Lord. I think often in our journey with the Lord, we have these seasons where life is overwhelming. Anybody ever experienced an overwhelming moment in their life? All right, half of the room and then half of the room is lying, good. This is church people. It's in those overwhelming times that I think sometimes we just kind of put God by the wayside. We try to figure it out on our own, get our stuff together before engaging with God again, or there are seasons where things are really, really good. And in those seasons where things are really, really good, all of a sudden, God goes by the wayside and we just kind of forget to pursue him. And instead, we pursue all the things that we've been waiting to, get, to do, like, like all the stuff and the vacations and the cars and the, like we, we pursue all these other things instead of joining God on his mission to seek and save the lost. We share what we enjoy but we only enjoy what we experience. We share what we enjoy, but we only enjoy what we experience. I think we are a forgetful people. And if I'm not speaking to you, I'll speak to me. I'm forgetful. My satisfaction is fleeting. And so when I am not reading the word, when I'm not in prayer, when I'm not participating in the life of the family, my mind goes all different places and then I become discontent with this. I become discontent with people. I become discontent with my life. I become discontent with my stuff. And I always look at things negatively in those seasons instead of seeing what the Lord is doing, where he's at work and how I can join him on mission. I'm forgetful. We need to spend daily time with God or else we will forget when we experience joy in Christ, when we experience this movement from death to life, how could we not say something? Like, there are moments where, like last night, for instance, I didn't sleep very well. I was up for some of the night. And so what did I do? Did I go play a video game? Did I go watch another sitcom that I've seen a hundred times? Or did I open up the Bible? In those moments, we open up the word and God met me. And so when God meets you in those moments those moments of darkness or those moments of good times, those moments of brokenness or those moments of, of, of grandeur, we have no other choice but then to share it with other people. Like it overflows out of us. It almost doesn't, it's not even something we think about because we've experienced the goodness of the Lord. If you met God through a heavenly being as you're walking out of this place, I guarantee you, you're gonna tell somebody and so when we experience the goodness of the Lord, whether it's in a church building or in a small group setting or in a Bible study or in our personal time in the word or a personal time in prayer or we're driving in the car and we hear a song come on the radio that just speaks to our heart and our mind, we share those things with other people because God is good. Just like these shepherds, this experience stirred something in them that caused them to worship their creator and their godly joy was contagious. And for many, I think we don't go all in because we don't really believe it. 
And so we waste our time, our talents, and our resources, and we just forget. So the invitation this morning, the response this morning, as I was praying over this this week, was this. Ask, seek, and knock. What do I mean by that? There's a verse in Matthew 7, 7, and 8. These are the words of Jesus. Fast forward some 30 years. His ministry is happening. He's sharing that the kingdom has come. And he says these words. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Let me say this clearly. Often people can get on a platform like this and call it church and tell you that what he's talking about here, what Jesus is talking about here, is stuff of this world, and it's not. He's not telling you to ask, seek, and knock for the stuff of this world. He's telling you to ask, seek, and knock for him. And he will meet you, and you will experience him. Please don't miss that. The God of the cosmos wants you. He wants you. He wants a relationship with you. And so he invites us to ask, seek, and knock. And when we do, he pours himself into our lives through the power of his Holy Spirit. Whether you've been walking with the Lord for 30 minutes or 30 years, my ask is that you would open your heart and mind to God right now. Often, I think, growing up in a church, walking with the Lord for years, we can think that this was a message for 30 years ago. This was a message, oh yeah, you know, I, I experienced that at one point in my life. No, 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 this is a daily experience. A daily experience where you wake up in the, in the morning and you remind yourself of the goodness of the Lord. You remind yourself that this is good news of great joy for all people and that makes your feet hit the ground knowing that you are on a mission to seek and save the lost. That's why you're here, that's why you're breathing, is to go tell people the good news of Jesus. And if you're not experiencing that joy, ask, seek, and knock. Beg God from your knees to pour out that joy in and through your life. I was thinking about, like, what's the one thing, the one thing that in our culture we would spend all of our time, money, effort, and energy to go pursue, worldly-wise. I was like, man, there's so many examples of the food in this, like, but what's the one thing that I think the majority of the world would give everything away for it? And something hit me, the fountain of youth. Like, if there was a real fountain of youth in our world, like a place that you can go to, I don't know, Iceland maybe, right, that was this, this like, body of water that was beautiful all around and you could go there and all of your aches, all of your pains, all of your hurts, all of your trouble, all of your money issues, all of the, the relationship things that you're going through, if all of that could just be wiped away by you dipping in this water, every single person that I know in the world around me would spend all of their money to buy a plane ticket, they would go find a place to stay, and they would go get themselves to this place, no matter what their circumstances. They would find a way to get rid of the aches and the pains and the hurts and the back problems and the sickness and all that stuff to get to this fountain of youth. I want us to understand something. The promise of the gospel is that for all of eternity, 
we get to experience the fullness of joy in God where there is no more pain, no more hurt, no more tears, no more crying, no more brokenness, that we get to be with the King of kings and the Lord of lords for all time, and that is the promise that we have in Jesus. And we have, we have forgotten it. We have forgotten that that's the promise, and so we seek earthly pleasure, earthly joy, and we hear of this magical uh, drink that is now a pyramid scheme that we can buy so that we may experience some kind of temporary relief. The gospel is permanent. God loves you, and he wants a relationship with you, not for just today, but for all of eternity. And all of the stuff that you're hanging on to and all the pain and all the hurt and all the bitterness, God wants you to lay that at his feet and experience the fullness of joy. So if you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you're here today and you've not opened your heart and mind to the fact that God came left eternity, sitting on a throne, being worshiped day and night to come down to be born in a, in a messy stable with animals around, lading, being laid in a food trough for you. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Let me tell you what's required. If you're sitting here, you've never heard this or you've heard it your whole life and you still don't understand what's required, let me read this to you. This is Jesus again in Mark 1.15. Because often we could put a bigger process in place here. We can say, hey, there's cards under your seats and you could pick those up and check this box and pray this prayer. Let me tell you what Jesus says. Matthew 1, 7, uh, I'm sorry, Mark 1.15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand today. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe. Repent means turn away from trying to find all of your joy, pleasure, satisfaction in the things of this world. Turn to God, find all of your hope, all of your joy, all of your peace in him and him alone. Believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Repent and believe. Run to God, not from God. So if you want to know what's required is you. All your mess, all of your sin, all of your shame, give it to him, repent of it, and believe in him as your Lord and Savior. Amen? We're going to take communion. Communion is a beautiful sacrament, a beautiful way to respond to the goodness of joy that we have in Jesus. Jesus was with his disciples at the end of his time. And he took some bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What is he saying in this moment? He's foreshadowing and letting them know that he is going to have his body broken, but for a purpose. This wasn't meaningless. He was telling them that he was having his body broken for them so that Anytime they went and broke bread together as, as, as believers, as his family, that they would remember the sacrifice that he made on a continual basis together, they remembered the gospel. And then he took a cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so when we come forward, we are doing the same act that we see in Mark 1.15.
which is we are repenting and believing. Whether you've been a Christian for 30 years or 30 minutes or one minute, this is maybe your first act of salvation, your first physical response to the gospel where you now have believed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you are fully saved and then you come here as your first act where you pick up a piece of this bread and you dip it in this cup and you receive this in remembrance of what God has done for you. Yes, he's done it for everybody. Yes, it's for all people, but specifically for you because he loves you. You are known, you are seen, and you are loved. And so we do this in remembrance of him. If you would, close your eyes. I'm gonna read a quote to you, and then I'm gonna ask that they would leave this quote up for a little bit as you guys are coming to take communion you could, so you could look at it. But here's what the quote says. This is from Spurgeon again. And he says this. There is no other life like the life of someone who lives in the favor of God. To receive all this as a free gift safeguards the mind from self-righteous pride and from self-accusing despair. It makes the heart grow warm with grateful love, and in this way, it creates a feeling in the soul, this is joy, which is infinitely more acceptable to God than anything that can possibly come of mindless fear. Father God, in this time right now, I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to your beauty, to your glory, to your splendor, that you would meet us right here. If anybody is hesitating to place their full faith and trust and hope in you, I pray that right now, today would be the day of salvation. God, I pray that as we get up and we prepare to go to these tables, that they would feel comfortable coming to, to somebody so that they could pray and receive you as their Lord and Savior. They could surrender their lives fully to you. God, we are so thankful for your word. We're thankful for this story of shepherds that we can relate so easily to. And I pray, Lord, that we would leave this place in the fullness of joy, having met with you, and that we would look in anticipation towards eternity where we will get to be with you. In your name we pray, amen.